Good morning. Last year, last week, we were uh, just starting in chapter number 7 of Romans. And I'll do a little bit of review since this half the church wasn't here. And this church, this half had it. <laughs> just real briefly. Remember chapter 7, Paul starts out, he's deeply concerned. What, what's he deeply concerned about? Anybody remember that? Effective teaching. Where he makes an impression on your brain. I know, it's been a whole year, you're right. Remember, Paul's concerned about Christian Jews still trying to bring in the law and apply it to Christianity to make them more Christian. Yes, or something, I guess. You can be more of a Christian if you knew the law and. So Paul was trying to really discourage that. In fact, he was concerned about it to the point where he, he addresses it in Romans chapter number 7 and 8. He talks about it, that we can't have both. we got to separate, we got to divorce ourselves, if I can use that word, from the law and embrace the tenets of Christianity. Amen. Can't do both. Extremely confused if you do both. Okay? You can't have law and works and grace in the same place. It just doesn't work. So he talks about that, and in, uh, let me read the first three verses here. We talked about, uh, he, he's um, making an analogy here, an example, okay, and I'll, I'll bring up the date on that. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1, after we pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, uh, Father, for the Bible, Lord. Pray, Lord, you help us to uh, understand this lesson, Father, today, in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren... Parentheses, for I speak to them that know the law. Who's he talking to? Jewish Christians. Okay? Know the law. A lot of Gentiles know the law too. Okay? But he's talking to Jews here. Primarily. Okay? How that the law hath dominion over a man for as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound to the law bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth, for the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband is, uh, liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she, can be, uh, though that she be married to another man. We talked about this, and this is Paul. This isn't talking about divorce and remarriage. This is an analogy that Paul's using. And I was telling you what that was last, last week here. Uh, Paul's using divorce and this being able to marry again. And remember the, uh, the doctrine of marriage and by the law. You could leave your, you could remarry by your husband had to die. Okay? Or Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 32, means of adultery, okay? So, so bear in mind, uh, Paul's purpose is to show that Christians, Jewish Christians especially, are not under the law of Moses, so he's, he, he's very forceful here. So he talks about this relationship between the husband to Israel. The husband was God. We saw that in Jeremiah 31, 30, uh, 31, 32. Uh, I'll just read it to you. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. The new covenant is what we're living in right now. 
this new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. That was through idolatry and disobedience. They break that, the Jews broke that covenant many, many times. Read the Old Testament constantly. Okay, going on. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So God was the husband. He took that position as a husband to Israel. Now, when Jesus died, God in the flesh, when he died, that marriage contract is no longer in force. Remember? Death of the husband. Okay? That marriage contract is null. It's void. It's no longer in force. So that... Israel was free to marry another. And Christ now represents the church, and he wants them to be married to the church. Amen. The church is the bride of Christ. Okay? And the bride is comprised of Jews and Gentiles that are saved. So that's the new relationship there that Jesus Christ is trying to get everybody, you know, that one's null and void. This one's new. Amen. Okay, so that's what he's doing here. Everybody understand that, kind of? I don't want to make it too uh, complicated. <laughs> but anyways, we said last week that everything that that marriage represented, all the, the law, the circumcision, all these things, that's gone. That old relationship, gone. So Paul's encouraging them and telling them and, and really being stern with them, don't drag that old marriage into the new one. If you're saved and you're married to Christ, don't, don't drag that stuff back in here. It's gone. It doesn't apply anymore to us. Amen. Okay? So, um, let me figure out where I'm at here. So, God, uh, Christ is God, risen from the dead, is married to another. The new bride is His church. Okay, and we saw that in Ephesians chapter 5. So Paul's trying to remove all grounds upon which these Judaizing, some of them are Christians, some of them are just from the outside trying to pull Jews out of the church. He's uh, trying to take away all their grounds they have to, to be effective. So he's warning these Christian Jews, don't fall back into that thing. Don't slide back into that Judaism. You'll, you won't have a victorious Christian life if you do. You'll be frustrated and stifled. Okay? Now, some of these Jews, of course, good, moral, upstanding Jews, we'll discuss them more later on in the end, towards the end of this chapter, good people, good, moral, good, trying their best to live a good Jewish life under the law, and now they become Christians, they, they're still good, moral, upstanding people. But Paul's trying to wean them away from the things that they came out of. We talked about that, we talked about Hebrews. You know, they had the temple, they had all these rites, these ceremonies, these holidays, all these feasts, all these, and the Christians had nothing. They had fishermen and a couple of small buildings in Bellingham. A few chairs, okay? And trying to keep people, don't go back to the big, you know, don't go back to where you came. We've got to stay here. We've got to grow. Okay? 
Now, so this annulment of God's marriage contract with Israel through the death of Christ is gone. The entire system is gone. Okay, I think I'm up to where I was before. Okay, verse number four then. <clears throat> Let's read that verse. Wherefore, wherefore means therefore. When you see therefore, you look above and you see what it's there for. So what he just read here in these first three verses about this, this divorce from the old system and this new marriage to Christ, wherefore, because of all that, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. Amen. Wherefore, you are also become dead. To the law by the body of Christ. You should be married or joined to another. Even to him, Jesus, who was raised from the dead. So Paul reaches three conclusions here. From what he's already said in these first few uh, verses. Number one, in the relationship of the new institution, we call that the church. It's something new back then. But God was totally... Uh, um, this new church to God, it was totally wrong to suppose that any of the old system came with it. It didn't. Remember, that was, just still, that was still in the tomb. Circumcision, the law, all these things they did. That was still in the tomb where Jesus was. He got out. It didn't. It's still buried. God didn't, didn't resurrect that. It ended. Okay? So, the old system's gone. Nothing pertains to the new relationship especially in view of the total rejection of Christ by the old system. The old system rejected Christ. Second conclusion, Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, had nothing either to benefit or of blessing in the old system of works by the law. There's nothing there for them. For Jewish Christians, Christ died to annul their old contract with God under the law, making them free to be united with Christ as part of His bride. They're free to remarry. They're free. They're, their husband is dead. They're free now, and they can be joined to Christ. Okay? Remember the, the words in this verse, that you may be married to another. So you're free to marry another. Okay? For Gentile Christians, their freedom from the old system was also complete, and it never even applied to them. But they wanted to apply it to them, the Jews did. But it never applied to them. The law also was made offensive to the Gentiles. Because Christ himself was made a curse. Look at the Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3:13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree Christ was made a curse for us also the fact that Jesus suffered where where was a cross where in Jerusalem nope outside the gate Look at uh, Hebrews 13, 12. 
This is what the Jews thought of Jesus. Hebrews 13, verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered where? Without the gate. Okay? So they rejected him. He became a curse. He hanged on the cross, and they did it outside the gate. He wasn't even welcome into, couldn't even die in his country, in his own city. He was out of the gate. Okay? So Paul thought it was impossible that true believers in Christ should have any regard for the old system. Crucified Christ, made him accursed, cast him outside the gate. So there's nothing there for you to go back to. That's what he's trying to say. So by definition, to be in Christ is to be absolutely beyond and apart from the law and everything that was in it. You can't dabble in both. If you're a good, upstanding, moral Christian, you'll meet all the you know, necessary things in the law. We meet things in the law, don't we? Not because there's a law, because there's laws. But just because we're, we want to serve Christ and we know we're not supposed to do certain things. That's not serving the law, it's serving God. Amen. Okay, verse number five. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. For when we were in the flesh, when you see that in the flesh, or something talking about the flesh, uh, it's talking about um, the old system. What did the flesh represent? Circumcision. Mark in the flesh. Okay. So under Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul's teaching is viewed as applicable to both Jewish and Gentile Christians because they were both essentially one in Christ. Our, our Jewish brethren in Christ are one in Christ, just like we are. They're Christians. But the fact is that the Jewish element of the church is Paul's primary focus here. He really wants to get in touch, get in them and, and convince them. So in the flesh refers to the nature of the Mosaic law uh, of flesh. Um, said uh, the flesh of Abraham, the, all these things they did in the flesh. That's what that's talking about in the flesh. There's a couple of names we'll see here about the law of Moses, about the old system. Uh, okay, and I'll, I'll let you know when we, when we get to those. We can also note here that Paul was contrasting here, and he, which he's going to do here, life under the law with Moses compared with life uh, serving Jesus, with faith in Jesus. There's a comparison there. So, so regarding the, the unbearable uh, burden of the law, let's look back at Acts chapter 15. Let's look what Peter said about something here. It's kind of interesting. When the Judaizers were chasing the apostles around and trying to confuse their work, and they wanted the Christians to keep part of the law, Peter had to deal with that. He talked to them about that. Acts 15, verse 10, Peter said, Now, wherefore, now therefore why tempt ye God to put a what? A yoke. Anybody ever wear a yoke? No. Don't you feel sorry for cattle that someone's got to wear a yoke? Back in the old days, they were heavy. Big old logs they got to wear around their neck, you know. 
That's a burden. That, you're chained to something. Why put the yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither be our fathers, nor were we able to bear? We couldn't bear the yoke back under the law. Why put it back on? Okay, That's like the guy hiking has a big backpack on. I'd like to get this off. He takes it off and says, I'm glad that's over with. Then he puts it back on again. Get that burden off of you. So Peter had to, to address that. The inability of the Mosaic system to give the worshiper any victory over sin was because, number one, there was no forgiveness possible. When you followed the law and you had to do your, whatever you had to do for your sin, you know, whether it bring an animal or whatever it was you had to do, uh, you didn't get forgiven, you still had the guilt. Remember that? Yeah. You did what you had to do, then you left away, you still had that guilt. Right. Number two, there was no imparting of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. There was no justification. There was no righteousness. There was no forgiveness in keeping the precepts of the law. That's why Peter referred to it as a yoke of bondage. Verse 6, but now. Remember the but now? You're going to see that a few more times. There's a change here. There's, a, uh, there's something new here. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The letter is another term for the law. Ever heard of the letter of the law? Guess where that came from? Oh, I thought it came from the, no, it came from the Bible. The letter of the law. We're delivered from the law. We should serve in newness of spirit, Amen. not in the oldness of the letter of the law. Amen. But now, remember, this is a, a major change here up until now. And then, but now, something's different. That's a change. You've discussed that before. After is the new state of things. We'll see that in about... 17 days, the new state of things. You have to wear your mask for 100 days. And then they'll say, guess what? Keep going. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, two weeks. That's still. These are Bible weeks, I think, when there's 70, 70 years. Bible weeks, <laughs> seven years, seven years. Yeah. So anyways. <clears throat> so, but now, things are different. But now we, look at that word, we, we, Paul includes himself as a former Jew under the law, identifying, uh, identifying himself as a former disciple of the law, a former follower of the law. We, includes himself, are delivered from the law. Christ has fulfilled the law. We saw verses about that. Christ suffered the penalty of the law, which was death. Okay? So now we are free from the law's demands. The law demands this, this, and keep the law 100% for justification. We're free from that. We're not working for our justification, nor 
Are we under the law if we break, if we transgress? Back then, they didn't have 1 John 1, 9, back under, under the law. I wasn't there. Okay, it was a penalty. It was a judgment, okay? That's the way they had to live. Wherein we were held, it says here in verse 6. We were held. They were in bondage under the curse of the law until it was dissolved. that we should serve in newness of spirit. We've got the newness of spirit versus the oldness of the law. Get rid of the law. We're not under that anymore. So these two phrases refer to as, you know, we're not under the law, we're under faith in Christ, the new system, the new uh, way, under the new church. Okay? Now, Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 13, Paul um, expounds further um, about the manner in which Moses made sin, about which the law of Moses made the sin uh, uh, in the law abound. How does sin abound? We talked about that verse. Look at, uh, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, verse uh, 20, I mean. Romans 5, verse 20. Let's look at that just a second. This is what Paul's going to talk about next here. Romans 5, 20, Moreover, did the law, the law entered that the offense might, what? Abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin, the law made sin abound. Remember, the law gave sin character. We didn't know it was a sin until someone told us it was. And that's what Paul's going to talk about now. Verse number 7, back in Romans chapter 7. What shall we say then, question mark? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. What is sin? Is the law sin? For example, Paul's going to talk about what he's talking about. Uh, he actually mentions one of the laws. Is the law sin? Uh, he says here, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So Paul reaches back and grabs the Tenth Commandment, Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let's, what does this commandment say? Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I had not known sin, but by the law. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Bible says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, a house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor his lawnmower, nor his car, nothing, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Thou shalt not covet. Paul did not mean the law is sin. However, there's a way for sin to take advantage of the law. 
Let me explain this. The perverseness of human nature. We got a problem with that? No, we got a problem with that. The perverseness of the human nature is that the mere prohibition of something or an act suggests the desire to do that which is prohibited. Don't do this. What's the first thing we think about? Oh, yeah? I can do this. Yeah. Watch me. Get a group of kids, they'll, yeah, watch me do this. So the perverseness of our human nature is we, we want to go against what the law says or what the rule is. Anybody ever do that before? Anybody ever go a mile over the speed limit? I'm the only one. They're not going to stop me if they're going 71 and a 70. And if I ever did, I'd say, you know, that law is perverse. That law is wrong. You know, <laughs> must be a boring day, huh? <laughs> Looking for the little guy. No, we, we naturally, for some reason, you tell a kid don't do something, and the first thing you do, tell a cat. Tell a kid something, don't do something, and the first thing they do is they do it. That stove is hot, don't touch it. Hot? What is hot? <laughs> you know, they burn themselves there. And oh, that's hot. I told you so, but don't believe me, I'm just your parents. You know, that's way that's our sinful nature. Oh, I'm gonna check this out for myself. And we do. Okay, so Paul's saying the same thing here. The mere prohibition sparks this desire in us to do it. So the act of sin, when it is done, is invested with the character of sin. Lust wasn't lost until someone did it. Then that, that character of sin is invested in that transaction. I did this. Which before, it didn't possess. The law didn't make a difference if, if we didn't ever break the law. I don't, I don't care about yours. You know how many laws there are in this country? They spend all day long making laws. I don't know what they are. I don't worry about it. I know what most of them are. Some of them are, the ones that apply to me. But there's laws out there. And they don't bother me until I have to, oh, come up against one and make a decision. Am I going to violate this law or not? Of course I am. Because I'm a person. No, it, it gives it... The law gives that sin, sin gives that law a character. It now means something. It wasn't a sin until it was transgressed. You understand? So then it becomes a distinct breaking of the law where previously there wasn't a law to break. Before the law of Moses, there was lots of folks that probably wanted their neighbor's ox, their neighbor's house. Their neighbor's wagon, the neighbor's wife, whatever. They, everybody wanted that. And there wasn't any prohibition against that until we had the law. Okay? So there was no violation of any known law. There was this inward desire of forbidden things, but there was never a law about it until there was a law. So Paul states here that he would have never known that covetousness was a sin 
except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Now he's aware. Verse 8, But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, brought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law the sin was dead. Without the law, sin was dead. So the law, sin, I mean, taken occasion by the commandment, the law, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Uh, that word means lust and carnal desire. There's a law now, then I kind of wonder, hmm. Well, I don't agree with that law. Or I don't, I know it's there, but I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I have this, I have this desire. Without the law, that sin is dead. He don't have, you know, it isn't a sin then, because there's no law against it. But now there is. So here, in this verse, sin is personified. It takes on the character of a person, okay? And it's personified as a powerful enemy who has established a base and produced in me, a base in my head, my mind, produced in me all these wrong desires. And in a sense, it multiplies these violations of the law, so that makes the law kind of an ally of sin. The law is there, nothing wrong with the law, but because people are people, and they have these desires, uh, Sin is a primary cause, but the law is kind of an ally there. Because it's not sin until there's a law against it. Are you following me on this? I have no idea what I'm talking about. I just not follow my notes here that Sally wrote. So, anyways, so, so the law is kind of a secondary cause. If there wasn't a law, we wouldn't be breaking the law. So we have these desires, but then there's something blocking us called the law. So that's a secondary problem. We want, we desire to do thus and so, but there's something in the way, and we're going to ignore that. We're going to break through that gate, that fence, okay? So that becomes an occasion where sin abounds. You do it once, you'll do it again, because nothing happened to you. Now, right, kids, and big adult kids. Nothing happens, so... It must be okay. I don't care what the sign says. Nobody caught me, so it's okay. That's the way we are. Verse number 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I was alive Paul was alive once. He remembers a time back when he was real young and he had no consciousness of sin. I remember those days. I think it was about 22 or 23 or so before he had consciousness of sin. No, we, we had a, a time when we, before we got saved, we had to realize there was a right and a wrong. There's, a, there's something called sin or something called we can't do this. Okay, we had to understand that. So Paul looked back to this time. He had this young, carefree life. Everything was wonderful. The sun rises, everything's great. And then, all of a sudden, there came a commandment. Don't do thus and so. So if you do, thou shalt die. 
So this sin, when he realized it was sin then, he couldn't do the same thing. That sin revived. That came back to life again. Whoa, I, I can't do this now. Used to be able to do it because they didn't know it was wrong. Now I know it's wrong. I can't do it. The commandment came, sin revived, and he fell into the deadness of this transgression in sin. He violated. He knew he violated. Conscience turned on. Oh, that's wrong. When you consciously sin, uh, do you hear a little voice in your head? I mean, do you feel that you know you just did something wrong intentionally? Yeah. I, I never do that, but... No, we, we understand, don't we? We know when we transgress. Sin revives. We realize, oh, no. Oh, or I know I know, but I wish I didn't know, but I know. So we become this uh, state of innocence is, is gone once sin is made known. I raised two girls. I'm still raising two girls. One of them is almost 50. But I'm still raising these two girls. And, uh, you know, they knew when things were wrong. And they would do it and smile at you. <laughs> daring you to, you know, just, no, 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 don't do that, remember? But after a while, it became the word, hey, i got to make this uncomfortable for you. See? Give me your laptop. No, I had to, we had to do something. We had to make that action to make them responsible when they committed that action. Hey, this is, this is, this is wrong. And we had to reinforce that, didn't we? I'm not going to tell you I did it on camera or on tape here because I'll have to go to jail. So, anyways. But Paul said, when sin revived, when I realized, remember, this is sin, I died. I fell into the deadness of my transgression. So the innocence was gone once I realized sin was sin. Sin had been there all along. From a date of accountability, I knew what wrong was. But it was more or less kind of dormant until I was approached and I did it. I transgressed the law. So understanding the commandments then, sin leaped up and thrust Paul through with all these violations he's doing because now he understood them. Ignorance is no excuse for the law. No, ignorance of the law is no excuse. My way is better, but anyways. Um, uh, just because you don't know it's a, a law doesn't mean you can break it and not get punished for it. Okay. Anyways, as a result, Paul became consciously guilty, he's saying, and subject to the eternal penalty of death. That being the significance when he says, I died. I have to pay the penalty now. I'm under the law. He's talking about back when under the law, when I was carefree, I realized sin was sin, I broke it. Then it revived, and, and I had to pay the penalty. I was under death. I was under penalty of that. Is that, is that pretty clear to everybody? Good. Let's try and get through verse number 10, then we'll, then we'll quit. And the commandment, the law, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. The commandment, another root word for the law of Moses, Paul had the utmost respect for the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. Paul here recognized the holy purpose of the law that God gave through Moses. 
the holy purpose was not the thing that Paul was really discouraged about. It was the practical application of it due to the perverseness of human nature. God knows our nature. God made the law. Nothing wrong with the law. It's wrong with the person. We can't keep it. Although the law had been given to the people that they might keep it and live, they were unable to keep it thus as they found, as did Paul, that it was not unto life, because you broke it, it was unto death. Okay? So the law had all these laws, 613 different things. You break them, then, then you have to pay the penalty. Then you didn't keep the law, and you're responsible for what? The whole law. Okay? Alrighty. Next week we'll start with verse 11. And we're still talking about this thing called sin. And these next few verses are going to be very, very important. Because it's going to talk about our hearts and our desires and Satan. And who Satan, who, uh, how Satan, he controls sin. He's the one that controls sin. He is sin. He is the essence of sin. And we need to give him some credit where it's due here. He has responsibilities in our lives. He can control us, can't he? We have our own desires, but a lot of that stuff comes from Satan. And we've got to be careful of that. Next week we'll talk about these, these next couple of verses. And then we'll, we'll see what Paul says about that. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Father, I pray God you bless the services to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.